We have been working through a sermon series titled Now You're Talking, about how to have spiritual conversations, and, and we've talked about the fact that uh, there's a lot of studies that, that show us that even though we know as, as Christians we're kind of called into a life to share about what God's doing, uh, we don't often talk about our faith, and we have a lot of reasons for it. We're, we're afraid, we're embarrassed, we're ashamed, um, we, we don't feel like we know enough, or whatever it is, there's a lot of things that get in the way. And so we, we talked about how Jesus kind of crosses boundaries and, and kind of does the uncomfortable thing and goes out of his comfort zone, so to speak, and, and talks to like the Samaritan woman at the well. She's like, why are you even talking to me? Uh, we, we looked at Paul and his ability to look out and to find things in everyday culture and everyday life and, and speak how God is at work in the midst of those things. Uh, we've, we've been walking through those things. We, last week we talked about you don't always just have to know what to say. Sometimes it's just about inviting people into an experience of God uh, that invite them wherever God is in your life and then you can then talk about your experience uh, and you don't have to just talk theological textbook information uh, to people. And so today we are stepping into a, another facet of how to have spiritual conversations and we're gonna be reading from one of the Psalms and I think it's just kind of nice to mention how the Psalms themselves are a spiritual conversation book. It is a book for communities, for individuals, to learn how to talk to God, of saying laments of how awful things are, or joys and celebrations of how great things are, that there is a psalm, a, a song, a poem, uh, a, a way to talk, and uh, I'm excited about what God might say to us today. And so uh, I was thinking about this text and this topic, and I was thinking about, um, you know, we just kind of find ourselves where we feel like um, maybe we don't know enough to really talk about something, so we don't want to, you know, we don't want to wade into something that we don't feel knowledgeable in, and so sometimes we don't talk about um, some of our faith because we're not sure what to say, um, and we don't feel like experts. But you are always the expert of your own story, and so today's an invitation to reflect on what is your story with God and how to share those experiences, uh, because there's life in that. And so one of the things that is uh, very interesting and powerful in the book of Psalms is the way that Israel tells their own story, tells their own picture of who God has been with them and how God has moved them and how God is leading them forward. And one of the things that you might not uh, you might not know much about the Psalms because we kind of tend to read them as just chunks of like, oh, here's one Psalm by itself. Um, practically, that just is what happens. Uh, but they are a collection of Psalms, uh, and there's 150 of them. Now, depending on which kind of biblical tradition you're in, um, there's, they're slightly numbered a little bit differently. Uh, in Jewish canon versus Christian canon, some Psalms are like split in half and the like, chapter division starts a little bit earlier or a little bit later, and so sometimes it gets a little murky if you're um, talking and you're like, wait, Psalm 110 or whatever. And that might be a slightly different Psalm depending on your tradition. Uh, but these Psalms were collected into uh, different books. Uh, and so on our text today, it's gonna say Psalm 107, and right above it in your Bible, it might say book five. And you might not have had any clue that there are five books in the Psalms. Uh, there's different collections. And there's kind of a narrative arc in the Psalms. Uh, if you're looking for lamenting, if you're sad, if you're discouraged, and you want to find a Psalm that can help you uh, get that out, uh, and maybe in our own times, uh, I kind of joke that for guys who want to feel sad, you want to sing some country music 
uh, somehow that taps into uh, some sort of sadness. Uh, If you're looking for that kind of psalm, you go to book one of the psalms, the first 40 or so psalms. There's a lot of laments that happen to be in that early section. And also there's a lot of King David connected psalms in that early section. But one of the things that you see as you move through the books is book three and four of the psalms don't have any connection to David. And it's a little bit telling the story of going off into exile, of losing the king in Israel, of being kind of cut off from your homeland. And this kind of hope that God is your king, that God is your Lord, and even though this world around you doesn't quite look right, maybe God will bring this all back together. And as you get in that narrative shape of the whole Psalms, you get to book five and there's starting to be more hope, more renewal, more opportunity that maybe God is going to do something fresh. Maybe God is going to do something like he has done before. And so this Psalm that we're gonna read from Psalm 107, uh, it gives hope and it gives hope because it talks about what God already has done. So I'm just gonna read the first few verses for us and starting here. Psalm 107, verse one through three. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So this psalm, which there's a lot of psalms that actually kind of start with this phrase, give thanks to the Lord. Uh, Give thanks, implies we should have some gratitude that God has already done something. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Now, we'll come back to some of those attributes, but I, don't, I think because it's in the Bible, it feels like, of course, yeah, God's good. Uh, his love endures forever, that's great. But I don't think we appreciate what it is to say this as the, the Jewish people coming back from exile. We get the little hints of it here. The redeemed of the Lord, Uh, The redeemed of the Lord is very churchy kind of language. You know, the language that we throw around, like, oh, God's glory, God's grace, the redeemed. We throw these words around and people are like, you know, I don't know if I could define that, but I'm used to saying it. The redeemed of the Lord, let them give thanks. The redeemed, very just literally, those whom God has bought from slavery. Now, we always spiritualize that because that's not our current situation. But to be a people who was conquered in battle, ripped from your homes, taken into slavery, living under an oppressive regime and power in Babylon, what is it for that people, those people to be redeemed, to be bought by God, to be liberated by God? And having come through these experiences where you've been ripped from home, where you've been enslaved and now redeemed to say, give thanks to God, for God is good. Because I'm sure that there are moments where there were questions about that. When you lost your homeland, when you were ripped from home and you were enslaved, where you might have doubted, is God good? Is God powerful? What is going on here? But in this passage we hear, we hear the psalmist saying, give thanks for his good, his steadfast love endures forever. That endurance language matters when you think about having been through such trauma and that in the midst of the trauma on the other side of it, realizing God's love endures forever. And that that word that the NRSV here translates the steadfast love, 
Some translations say God's kindness or God's loving kindness. It's some sort of word about God's kind of uh, good disposition of love and charity and generosity and kindness to, to people. Uh, but that good, gracious, merciful love of God endures all things. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So you can just kind of picture up front of like, God bought you from slavery, he has freed you, he, ha- he has given you new life. What would it be to just walk away and say, okay, time to move on. I kind of like life now and just move about your everyday life. And he's saying, stop what you're doing, reflect on what you have to be thankful for. Reflect, say it. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And these, these people that are ransomed, these people that are liberated, that are brought together, are gathered from all of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And it's this picture of, yes, Israel had been scattered all over the Mediterranean. It's why when Paul starts uh, doing his missionary work in the Acts, he can go to new cities and there's synagogues there because the communities had been scattered throughout that Mediterranean world. And so it's hoping for all of these people not only having been liberated but being brought back together. And maybe we can actually have a little peek at what that feels like, having lived through the last year and a half or so of what is it to feel scattered, to be spread out, to feel the joy of of moments of being gathered back together. And in those moments, not to just kind of forget about God, but to give thanks for God's loving kindness and presence. And so that's the, the wide net picture that the psalmist gives of, hey, give thanks to God. But what I love in this psalm of this redeemed people, this people brought back together, is it doesn't assume they all have the exact same story. So we all have a, a shared communal story, but we also have different stories within that. And so this psalm's gonna give us four different moments. It's kind of like it's doing a compass. Those who were scattered to the north and the east, the west, the south, no matter your experience, what is it to share the story of God? And so here, this first section of of some of those experiences of God, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached an inhabited town. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and the hungry he fills with good things. Maybe uh, you could imagine that original setting. Uh, You know, I always have a hard time doing a backwards map. Uh, But you have, if you can imagine North Africa, uh, and you've got Egypt, and you've got this Mediterranean coastline where Israel is, and this coastline goes up towards Turkey and towards Europe, uh, you would do most of your travel along that waterway because it helps to have water. (laughs) It helps to be able to drink. It helps to be able to feed uh, your, your animals to have crops. And so you would travel along that waterway, and there were also some major rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates that come across. And, and so people who wanted to go to some eastern empires would travel along the water paths to get there. Uh, nobody would just go from Israel and just go east and just start walking through what feels like endless 
desert, endless wasteland. Of You look out and it's just kind of never-ending desert. And the mile markers, it might be hard to figure out where you're going. And to just start walking in the wilderness without any signs that there's any life, that there's no inhabited towns, like who can survive here? And to have scattered and maybe you fled the destruction of your city and you're like, maybe I might find some hope and you just keep wandering in the desert, always afraid that you might die, that you might die of hunger, that you might die of thirst. And what is it to be on that that path where you don't know where you're going? And I think for some of us, we're not literally walking through the wilderness necessarily, but for some of us, we know what it feels like to not know the direction to go, not have a sense of, you know, what's your five-year plan, of here's the next step, the next step, the next step, the next step, but to feel like you're wandering aimlessly, looking for little mile markers of where on earth is God taking me? And you're hungry and thirsty, you're, you're, you're feeling depleted, you're feeling directionless. And the psalmist here says that those who were, whose souls fainted within them, those who were hungry and thirst, that they cried out to God and God delivered them. And I love that deliverance looks unique to that situation, that deliverance looked like showing up to an inhabited town. Maybe you've ever been on a road trip and you weren't sure if your gas was gonna make it to the next stop. And how, how amazing it feels just to see that there's a gas station at an upcoming exit. Maybe you were starving, you're like, I should have gotten food back a few exits back. And you finally see that restaurant that you want on the sign. Like that joy of like, there's people there, there's life there, there's hope there. Uh, and, and for some of us, maybe if you're an introvert, you're like, I'm kind of okay on my wandering journey. Sometimes I'm afraid of the inhabited town, but, but what is it to feel alone, feel disconnected, and to find whatever that source of life and community and hope is, and that there's the sign, there's the people, there's the community. And again, in our last year, I think we can live that, that moment of where you're not sure what, what the next month has, what the next week has, and to have a sense of like, oh, I can start planning again a little bit. I can start understanding what might be coming next, and, and I might see some life and some community and some inhabited towns, uh, some places where I can go and find life with me. Uh, there's a hope there. And so maybe you've been the wanderer in the desert. But there are other stories the psalmist tells us that some sat in darkness and in gloom, prisoners in misery and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Their hearts were bowed down with hard labor. They fell down with no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and gloom and broke their bonds asunder. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Uh, so there's some people who feel like I'm gonna go walk and I'm gonna go find something and you're walking aimlessly, but there's some who are enslaved and who are prisoners in darkness and in gloom. Now very literally, uh, some people in Israel were sold into slavery, some were put in shackles, some uh, had no ability to decide where they were going. They were taken by others. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the darkness and gloom and despair, what is it to hope to have liberation, to be free? Uh, I, I don't think we, we often realize how powerful it is to have hope in the midst of despair. 
Uh, there's so many beautiful images in the Bible from this time period of this return from exile. You know, when you think about, um, like the, one of the famous ones is Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones. We kind of sometimes feel like this Valley of Dry Bones that are, uh, these bones are come back together and flesh and, and muscle and, and then life is breathed into this body. We kind of, maybe we, we translate that into like resurrection, into afterlife kinds of images for, as, as Christians. But what is it to be a community who's seen their, they lost in battle, uh, they've been destroyed, their, their community has been scattered, and to imagine God coming down and bringing the dead bones back together again. All of your community hopes and dreams are shattered and bring them back together and breathe life into them. And, and for this community to imagine sitting in darkness and gloom that God can do something about it and to still have hope in God's enduring love and that they prayed, they cried out, and God broke the bonds of slavery and the shackles that enslaved them. Maybe you might not feel as personally enslaved, uh, but I think we know the place of sitting in darkness and gloom, of sitting in despair and sadness, where it's hard to get out, where it's easy to just, I'm just gonna stay in my room, I'm just gonna stay in my house. You know, I, just not trusting to have courage that maybe there might be a day of hope, a day of life ahead for you. And to be in that gloom, and to trust that you can cry out to God and that God might actually bring you out from that place. And so some wandered aimlessly in the desert and some sat in darkness and gloom and slaved, but both were rescued by God. The psalmist goes on, some were sick through their sinful ways. Because of their iniquities and they endured affliction, they loathed any kind of food. And they drew near to the gates of death then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and he healed them and he delivered them from destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind and let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. I, I always just loved the psalmist's imagery. Uh, but he's, he said, okay, some are wandering in the desert, some are imprisoned in gloom and some have lost their appetite, right? Some are so sick, uh, they, they loathe, they, they can't imagine eating again. You know when you're so like in despair that you just lose that appetite? That it doesn't matter what their life circumstances are exactly, but the, the weight of that moment has made them where they lose their appetite. And for us, just on a very literal way, uh, if you've ever gone to a restaurant and gotten sick, you know what it's like to have the lingering feeling of I'm not going back to that restaurant, right? Of how long that feeling sits with you. But there's also a spiritual way that that happens where um, those moments that make that pit in our stomach where we're just so angry or discouraged or upset or those things can linger where it's hard to let go of that thing. It's hard to, to, to consume uh, spiritual life and bread again. And so these people who, who had their appetites lost, uh, who no longer have that passion, no longer have that desire, they, they don't just eat again in the story. They're not just hungry and then become filled. At the end of the story, they start offering Thanksgiving sacrifices. And that's such a beautiful reversal. The people who had no appetite, who were sick, 
become the people who start offering food sacrifices to God. Uh, and the sacrifices you offer to God, and in some ways in the ancient Near East, they, can see, they imagined the gods kind of eating sacrifices. But even if you didn't see God as eating those sacrifices, once you sacrificed them, you had a wonderful meal. And the community and the priests and the people would, would have a meal together with these sacrifices. And so the person that, that had no, no, uh, no appetite left becomes the people who are so overjoyed that they see blessing and they want to offer thanks because they have been so filled that they are giving back to God and to the community around them. And so their, their situation is reversed. There's still another group, another story. Some, though, went down on the sea in ships, doing business on the mighty waters. They saw the deeds of the, the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths, and their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards, and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress, and he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then they were glad because they had quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So here's a different group. Some wandered aimlessly, some sat enslaved in darkness, some lost their appetite, and some are like, I'm gonna figure out how to make this work. Some are like, I'm getting on a boat, which is the opposite direction of going to Babylon. They're trying to cross the Mediterranean, and I'm gonna to go to work. I'm gonna find some sort of trade or business. I'm gonna make this life work for me. And they start traveling, and then things aren't easy. The waves come, and it's highs and lows, and suddenly they're scared, and they're not sure how to make it forward, and the world and the chaos around them uh, overwhelms them. And so some of us, when we have trauma, when we have challenges, we're like, I'm gonna go to work. I'm gonna figure out what I need to like, check off the checklist. I'm just gonna get something done. And even in that thing of like, I'm not gonna let this enslave me. I'm not gonna wander aimlessly. I've got my list. Sometimes though, God still thwarts your list. Whatever you thought was going to be your plan for the day didn't end up the plan. And in the midst of losing whatever your expectations, whatever your list or plan was, at some point, the people cried out and said, God, save me. I need your peace. And I just love how the haven kind of language of, of they found this kind of stillness, this quiet. And so your life might feel loud. It might feel chaotic. And, and maybe for you, you, you're longing for God's bringing of peace and just a little moment of silence and rest. And so no matter which of those stories you are, you are all a part of the greater uh, thank God for your redeeming, never-ending love. That no matter my situation, your love endures my good times, my bad times, your love always is with me. No matter where I go in the world, if I go north, south, east, west, if I try to have good times or bad times, you're still there. And so this psalm kind of ends with some images about, you know, God can turn any situation around. You might be in the desert and it might become a watery place. You might be in this luscious uh, paradise looking place and it might become a desert. 
that situations just change, but God's love endures forever. I was thinking about uh, that language. I was thinking, like, oh, that feels metaphorical, right? Uh, he turns rivers into desert, and later he turns deserts into pools of water. Like, that, that, maybe that's just kind of metaphorical, poetic language. And then I was reminded of having gone to Israel. We got to explore a little bit around some of the Qumran caves and kind of this desolate region. Uh, and so we went climbing, and at some point, uh, the instructor who was with us starts complaining and starts yelling. He's like, what are y'all doing over there? That area is blocked off. And you're like, why is it blocked off? Why does it matter? And it was a wadi. And a wadi is like a dried up riverbed. And it looks like desert. But at some point in the rainy season, storms come and the water just floods through there. And so very quickly, what feels like an easy place to climb, an easy place to explore, could become a dangerous place uh, filled with water. But it would never look that way because it looks like a dried up desert land. Uh, and our, the looks of things can be deceiving. And so whatever kind of moment you're in, you might be on the high highs of joy, you might be on the low lows in the valley of despair, but we are all called to still be thankful, to still trust in God, to still put our faith in God as opposed to ourselves, as opposed to whatever other things tempt us. That God is the one who turns situations around. And when you want to talk about your faith to someone, someone doesn't care as much about give me all of the doctrine of the Trinity in as precise of language as you can imagine without becoming a heretic by saying too much. Uh, we, we also can stumble with our words. What people want to hear is, what does God mean to you? Like, how has that affected your life? Is there anything different about your life? Does this matter at all? What's your story of your relationship to God? Like, are you the person who's like, I'm a wanderer, I had no direction in life, and God has given me a purpose? Are you the person who feels like your life has been in gloom and despair, who God has brought joy and life into? Are you the person that had lost passion, had lost hope, who had lost an appetite that God has not only filled but overflowed, and so you can't help but share? Are you the person that uh, had the direction you're like, I thought I knew the right way to go and I was going full force that direction and God completely threw off my plans and how wonderful it is because God's plans are greater. Whatever your story is, uh, you are the expert of knowing what that experience is like. No one else gets to know that story unless you share it with people, unless you give thanks to the Lord for he is good. I was thinking about sharing my story and sharing our stories, and I couldn't help but think about, um, sometimes people ask me, well, how did you uh, learn about First Baptist Church of Jackson? How did you get connected? And I always joke that it was a little bit like speed dating, uh, because the uh, search committee from, from First Baptist was with a bunch of other churches that had an event, and, and the event paired churches looking for pastors and uh, potential clergy candidates. And so you would go to the same site, I think we were outside of Indianapolis, and I think there were about 14, 15 churches there, and it's kind of a little bit odd, you know, when you talk about it out loud, of like, at least on the clergy end, you were supposed to rank um, how interested you were in each kind of church profile that came your way, and I'm sure churches were asked similar kinds of questions about, hey, which candidates do you think most fit you? And then somebody else would kind of, okay, let's sort this out, let's figure out interview times, and, and so I think I either had like 12, 13, 14 interviews in a day and a half, and that's, you know, it's a, it's a marathon and a sprint at the same time, 
And one of the things that's interesting about interviews with church situations is most of that question is, tell me your story. And so saying your story and say, tell me your story, tell me your story. And every story has weight to it. And so it's tiring to just keep telling your story, right? Because you're like, oh, this is like meaningful, deep moments of my life. Let me tell you a little bit about that and as quick as I can. Uh, but there's power in being able to talk through what is my story? How do I see how God has moved in my life? But not only that, how do I see how God has moved in my life, but how does that brought me into a community of other people in a shared story? Like, how, what is our story together? If you go out our doors, you can go to the street corner here on Jackson and Cortland, and there's a cornerstone with a date, which I point out because it's tomorrow uh, with June 21st. But June 21st, 1870, they laid the cornerstone for this building. And I don't know that the people that laid that cornerstone had any idea how the next 130, 150, 100, you know, go 200 years, 300 years, what that's going to look like. But they were just faithful for God's story of their life. And they were a part of what God was doing. And we enter into that story in our own place and time. And God is liberating, God is moving, God is giving us life in different kinds of ways, but God is always faithful. God's enduring love and kindness uh, extends to us that also was extended for thousands of years now. And so we enter into that story, and it's up to us to share that story. And so um, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is to sit in time with prayer and reflect, ask God, what should I be thankful for that I am not even seeing? Like, where should there be gratitude? Where, where have you already been at work that I haven't even noticed? There are also probably some things that you do know, that you do reflect on. Things that might feel like, oh, I've said thanks about that a long, long enough time ago, I don't need to say thanks about that again, but maybe just revisit those moments. Revisit those, those memories, those experience, and, and thank God for those moments, no matter how recent or distant they might feel. But also, invite God to make new moments, to have new experiences, to have new freedom, new liberation, new passion, new life, uh, new hope wherever there's gloom. Uh, because God has moved, and that gives us hope that God is going to continue to move and continue to bring us to a new day. That, that God's love endures in the past, but endures through into the future. And so, in the spirit of gratitude, maybe you might have hope that God might move in your life afresh. So whatever story you see as in going on in your life, wherever there's struggles or joys, wherever there's uh, connections to others around you, whether that's neighbors or family or, uh, or coworkers, uh, I invite you to reflect on God's story with your story and to share that story uh, because your story matters and it brings life and hope to others. And so I, I invite you to, to share a little bit about your story. It might just be tell one moment in your life. Tell a favorite story and how God was at work in it. And that might bring life and hope to somebody else. They might realize how that connects with their own story. So if you're struggling to think about how do I talk about my faith, maybe just reflect on those moments in your life that you can share and just start there. Would you pray with me? Lord, we confess that there are plenty of times where your goodness and your love has gone unnoticed by us.
Lord, we ask that you might give us a, a, a sight and a vision that we might spot those moments and that we might celebrate them, that we might give thanks, that we might uh, be overwhelmed and overflow with thanks in, our, in the lives around us. Lord, we give thanks for all of those uh, moments of the good and the bad in which you were working in our lives. Lord, I ask that you would be with everyone who's feeling like they're lost in the wilderness or, or that they're, they're stuck in gloom, whatever their story might be. Lord, we ask that you might bring healing and hope and direction and, and that we might trust in you, that no matter our situation, uh, you're the one who brings hope and life. Lord, I pray for, for all who uh, are in our space and who are worshiping with us, who uh, are on the way to some joyous celebrations, on the ways to, to meal times and whatever else it might be. Lord, let the, the spirit of joy be filled with gratitude and thankfulness, not only for you, but also for how you've been at work and the others in our lives. Lord, I ask that for whoever feels imprisoned in gloom today, that you might bring your life and your hope and your joy. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.